It has to be one of the most amazing stories of forgiveness and literally sitting on the cusp of decades of resentment and then God breaking through with forgiveness immediately. Holocaust survivor Corey Temboon in her book, The Hiding Place. I, I, the, the name of the book is because of a little secret room that Corey and her family had in their home in Amsterdam when the Nazis were taking Jews and bringing them to concentration camps. Corey, who is not, and her father, watchmakers who are not Jewish, started to put Jews in a hiding place. They say that nearly 800 lives were saved by the Ten Boom family. They were caught in the entire family. Almost 10 of them were sent to a concentration camp. Corey was not a Christian, but when she left Ravensbrück concentration camp before the Allied Liberation Forces came, she was born again, and God changed her life while in that horrible situation with her family. Every one of her family members were died and killed in the concentration camp except Corey. And for three decades, Corey Ten Boom preached the gospel around the world. Three decades. But one day, 30 years after Ravensbrook, 30 years after losing every family member to the gas chambers and to the horrific deaths that was brought on these Nazi concentration camps, Corey Ten Boom was preaching in Munich, Germany. And the church she was preaching at she looked out like I'm looking out today, and she saw a familiar face. Sitting in front of her was one of the guards that was responsible for mocking them, putting them in the showers where they didn't know if water would come out or poisonous gas, and the guard that was responsible for killing her sister Betsy is sitting in front of her as she's preaching the gospel. At the end of the sermon, she was trying to rush out and that ex-Nazi concentration camp guard came up to her and said, Fraulein, I heard you mention Ravensbrook. I was a guard there, but since those days, I've become a Christian. He didn't recognize her. I know that God forgives me, but would you forgive me? Corey Timboon said, I stood there paralyzed because the man in front of me is a monster. Then he had filled her with shame and misery every single day and even killed her own sister. How could she preach, though, she thought, forgiveness when she's staring into the face of the one that needs it the most? How do you preach something unless it, it's brought out into, in a sense, into the playing field? It's easy to preach on forgiveness from a stage, but when you have to do it, it's a whole nother thing. She said the only thing she knew to do, because she says, I cannot forgive him in her mind. She said she prayed there on the spot and said, forgive me, Father, for the inability to forgive. And she said immediately something happened. A power surged through her that she felt all resentment and bitterness leave her, and her whole life and heart was filled with the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. She said she looked at that man, clasped his hand, and said, you are forgiven. And this is what she said. She said, not only was that man set free, I was set free. Listen, folks. Someone said it this way. Resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's what resentment is. You have your system is poison while you're waiting for someone else to face it. That's what Corey was faced with. So today, I want to take you on a journey. TSC, I want to take you on a new initiative. In fact, this may surprise some, and it's going to excite others. But I'm going to tell all of you TSCers today, get ready, but I have to explain before you clap. What we're going to start from this point on is we're going to go green from this point on. We're going green. Some of you are going like, good, because I shop at Whole Foods. Okay, just stay with me for just a few moments here. Because go green to you and go green in the Bible are going to be two totally different things. Corey Timboon went green, and you're going to see it because that's the challenge today. And I'm not speaking ecologically, but I'm speaking biblically and spiritually today. 
because I believe that God is going to do something, and you're going to see this in the next few moments from Psalm 52. I was challenged just a few days ago in the elevator of our apartment building. There are people that I've been sharing the gospel with and people that I've been wanting to lead to Christ and people I've been talking to from all different walks of life, and I learned something new recently, and here was the challenge that I've been learning, and it's this. Can I explain my sermon? Can I explain what I'm going to talk about in 25 floors, about 20 seconds when I'm going up without using churchianity and Christian language that I can explain to the unchurch what I'm about to speak about. Because I have guys ask me at different times, hey, we know, you're, we know tomorrow, they call it game day. We know tomorrow's game day and what are you going to speak on? Uh, at, and here's what was happening. From floor one, we were going up 25 seconds and I shared with them these words. So can I give you my elevator summation of Go Green and Psalm 52? So imagine this. I'm at the lobby and I'm going up 25 floors. And here's what I had to say. David's co-worker was an informant to the man trying to kill David. He snitched on David's location and a lot of people died at floor 10. David was angry and felt responsible. But after praying, David decided to go green. What is that? You're asking floor 20. It's the ability to grow through difficulty and not just grow through difficulty, floor 22. He came out bitter instead of better. And going green is not about saving the planet, but it's about saving your soul. And if you want to know more, come tomorrow to church. Floor 25, and we got out of the elevator. So let me take my summation and dig deep for the next few moments with you. Let me go through this and what this actually means. So I want to read to you Psalm 52, but I've got to do something that some of the Psalms that you read in the Bible, in those 150 Psalms, not all, some of them will give you these contextual statements, the backstory of what you're about to read. And that's exactly what we get here. Because you're going to see going green in Psalm 52 in the next few moments. Psalm 52 is one of those, and the backstory is important. David, in, 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 and we, he's brought us back those few sentences right before, right after it says Psalm 52. Those few sentences brings us back to 1 Samuel 21 and 22. I'll give you the names in just a second. And much of 1 Samuel is David running. He's called to be king, but it's most of him running and not ruling on the throne. He's running for his life and not ruling on the throne. And therefore, this is one of those stories of while he's running. David has been anointed to be the next king, but the present king Saul is still on the throne and committed to seeing the next king not be David. So he is hunting after David to kill him. In one of these murderous expeditions, he finds refuge in a city, David does, in a city called Nob, N-O-B, which is under the leadership of a priest called Ahimelech. David is alone. Nobody is with him. There's no band. He's running for his life and feels all alone. Ahimelech has no idea that Saul is trying to kill David. David just tells the priest he's on official business from Saul, which wasn't true. Saul's trying to kill him. He doesn't even throw Saul under the bus after having spears thrown at him. He gets provisions from the priest. David leaves, but another name appears, which is very important to what I'm about to read to you. And he's witnessed this whole conversation. His name is Doeg. He's an Edomite, and he's one of Saul's men. So in 1 Samuel 21, 22, you need to understand, Nob is the city of priests. Ahimelech is the lead priest. And this name Doeg, you, uh, it, it's so important to Psalm 52, is a member of Saul's army and Saul's staff. And something horrible happens when David leaves. Saul is, seems to be always a day behind David's running. He can't seem to catch up with David. And when he finally gets to Nob, he accuses, out of his own insecurity, he accuses the men of going, you had information and you didn't even tell it to me. Then Doeg stands up and says, snitches on David and says, he was here and he talked to the priest. We call that, if you're from New York, who's here from New York City? Would you, if how many are here? Let me tell you what we call that. This is the way we grew up. We call that he dropped a dime on David. How many remember that? 
Okay, some of you young people have no idea what that means because your, your phone is in your hands. When we call drop the dime, it means a dime into a telephone, uh, in, into a, a telephone booth and you call the cops on somebody. He dropped a dime on you. He snitched. I was trying to explain that to some next gen, and they're staring at me. That I, they, they're going like, there are telephones that on the street that you could put a dime into those telephones. Don't you use Apple Pay, and don't you swipe and do something? How many remember the dime telephone days? I just want to make sure I'm not the only old guy in this room. I was, we were eating in a restaurant recently, and they had one in there. I said, this is amazing. Does people, do people use this payphone? They said, nope, it's for decoration. We use our cell phones. Doeg drops a dime on David and tells him, hey, he was here. Saul orders Ahimelech and 85 priests to be murdered, and no one will do it except Doeg, this Edomite, goes on a killing spree, kills them all. Think of this. He slaughters 84 innocent priests, and one man escapes and tells David. And David grieves and feels responsible. Just because he got there, asked for provision. And Psalm 52, this is what I want to read to you today, is a private and prayerful response to 84 murders. It is David who is about to unburden his heart in private. It's a prayer, a feeling these 84 murders, senseless murders of priests, people that we would say would be in the ministry. And David hears the story of what this guy Doeg, who he knew, is now beginning to hear all that took place. Let me read to you Psalm 52, and let's just read these eight verses or nine verses. Here's what it says. David says these words. He says, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? He's speaking about Doeg, the loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue, once again, he's speaking about this man, devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than falsehood, more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O oh, de deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from... David is literally just passionately angry of what happened. And he just says, and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. And then they're going to laugh at you, saying, behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. Now, folks, here it comes. But David says something that alters this entire song. He is, he is literally spewing out this anger to God. Because some guy dropped the dime. Some guy snitched on him. Some guy betrayed him. Some guy was responsible for 84 deaths. Some guy that, that he worked with, that he knew. And all of a sudden, David has his Corey Ten Boom moment. He goes green. And here it comes. This is what he says. Almost sounds like Joshua. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God. Leave that on the screen for a moment. Look at this. Just like Joshua said, you all can do whatever you want. You, all of Israel, you can sin, you can worship idols, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is what David was saying. He says, you can go on a killing, you can hurt people, you can do all these things, but as for me, while you're cutting down people, I'm gonna be a green olive tree and grow in God's house. That while everybody else is withering, and, God, and he says, and I will trust in the loving kindness of God forever. I'll give thanks to him, he says, because you have done it, and I will wait on your name, for it is good in your presence of the godly ones. Hallelujah. Look at those words again. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it, and I will wait on your name. This is David, what he says. But as for me, I I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. Folks, this is what I want you to get. To go green means I can still grow in the midst of the worst conditions around me. That's what David is saying. No matter what is happening, no matter where you work, I don't care if it's a church or Wall Street, 
If you're watching online, I don't care if you're working for a, for a corrupt government. I don't care if you're working for a corrupt suit. This is what David was telling us. In the worst conditions, you can still grow in God's. You can still, this is what he says, death can be around you, but life inside of your soul. Death even in your home. Death in the bed next to you. And God goes, you can still grow in me. See, David knew Doeg. In fact, he knew his character. And in fact, in the 1 Samuel 21, he says, I knew he was going to tell on me. That's what he says. He said, I knew he was going to tell Saul on me. See, Doeg could be a person who David fought side by side. We don't know that for sure. But this is someone he's talking about in your vicinity, someone toxic that turns against you. They could be in the same office, the same apartment, the same house, the same staff, the same neighborhood. They may be right living next door to you. And you have no idea. That's why I love what the, the Christian British writer G.K. Chesterton said about Jesus' words. It makes me think of these kind of people. He says this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, and it also tells us to love our enemies because they're probably the same people is what that is. Biblically, to go green does not mean to save the planet. It means to save our souls, to save our souls from bitterness and anger, to not let hostility and resentment and unforgiveness be there. It's literally saying, I will not go through betrayal, but I will grow through betrayal. That's what he's saying. He says that what David was saying, he says, I'm not just going to go through this. I'm going to grow green olive tree. I'm going to grow through this whole thing that I choose to grow despite what this individual does to me. I believe this. Listen to me, Claire, full time square church. I believe close proximity hurt is part of God's curriculum for the people that God uses. I really believe that. I really believe it's part of God's curriculum to say, can, can you allow me to grow you even though it seems that the people, people closest to you seem to hurt you? And, and what makes it harder, folks, I, I, I have been, from preaching on the streets, I have been spit at. I've had bottles thrown at me. I've been shot at. I've been cursed at. I've been threatened. But folks, that doesn't bother me because they're not close up. I'd rather have that. But when the people get close and you know them, that's a whole nother story. Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer, says it like this. He says, God can never make us wine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. If God would only use his own fingers and make us broken bread or poured out wine, that's fine. But when he uses someone we dislike, we don't like that. We'd rather God work in us, but not people. We don't want that. We want to choose how those things begin to happen. To be hurt by someone close, I think, is part of God's recipe for growth and maturity. Whether you're lied about, posted about, promises unkept, tweeted or cheated on. Write these words down. Hurt is proportional to intimacy. Hurt is proportional to intimacy. What that means is that the closer they are, the deeper the wound goes. The closer they are, the more time you have spent with them. The more time, the closer they are in vicinity. That means the more weight their words have, the more power they have to hurt you. This was David's school. Think about this. David was hurt and betrayed by the three closest people in his life. Think about this. Doeg, his co-worker, you ready for this? Saul, his boss, and Ahithophel, his counselor. The three closest people that knew David's life, his heart, the closest people to David, Doeg, Saul, and Ahithophel. This has been David's school. David's school is the closer he gets, it seems that people turn against him. And all of a sudden, your face, all of them, all three of those people, Ahithophel, Saul, and Doeg, were conspiring to kill him. And David knew he had to go green on this, or it would be toxic to his heart. It would affect his soul. It would begin to do something and deteriorate his insides. So here's the big question that I want to take just a few moments and we'll close today, is how do you go green? How do you do that? How do you grow in, in bad conditions? How do you grow when all around you, be it in, in any spot, from a home to an apartment, from a job, 
to wherever it may be, is a toxic environment. How do you go green? Listen to it again. David says this, as for me, he says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I will trust in the loving kindness of God forever. He says, I will give thanks forever because you have done it, and I will wait on your name for it is good. I, I feel like this. To go green, drop these words down, and let me just build on it for a few moments. To go green means I will trust, I will give thanks, and I will wait on God. Let me give you, that's, this is what it says. I'm just taking these right out of the verses. I will trust, I will give thanks, and I will wait. I will trust in God that he is going to see me through. I will thank God that he uses people to grow me, and I'm going to wait on God to work it out for his glory. Let me say that one more time. You'll see these come up again. I'll trust in God that he's going to see me through. I will thank God that he does use people to grow us, and I will wait on God to work it out for his glory. You know, um, I have to tell you this. Elder Jerry uh, and I were talking recently, and we were just talking about the constant battles, and Elder Jerry and Elder Chooks, the constant battles that seem to keep coming. And I said this, I said, one of the things that we, are, that we have to remind ourselves is this, that as Christians, we're not battle-free, but we can be battle-fit. Let me say that again. You can never be battle-free, but you can be battle-fit. I remember leading a young man to the Lord in Detroit, Michigan, and I'll never forget. He was so excited to live for the Lord. He was praying. He was reading the word, and he came to me one day. He said, Pastor, God spoke to me. I said, well, tell me. What, what did he say? He said, he said, all my battles are done. I said, what? He said, God just told me I have no more battles that I have to face anymore until I go home to be with God. I said, well, God didn't tell you that. And I said, let me just tell you, you didn't hear from Jesus on this one. Get back to the Bible. Let's just start reading the Bible on this. Battles are done. Folks, let me just let you know, when you become a Christian, you will not be battle free, but you can be battle fit. You can be ready for anything that comes against you. And that's why I want to just challenge you. I, when someone hears, I'm going to fit you for battle. You ready? For, so you don't get toxic with other people. Because one of the dangerous things, listen to me, those that are watching online, listen to me. I think some of you may be watching and you are secretly watching. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Listen right now. I want you to get this. You have to be careful of being brought into somebody else's hurt, and you don't even know the people. They'll bring you in going, let me tell you about this person, and all of a sudden, you're angry with them, and you don't even know them. They never did anything to you. How many know what I'm talking about? So here's what you do. When you hear somebody's name talk to you, and they go, can I tell you what someone did to me? Here it is. Battle fit. Go green, brother. Go green, sister. Grow in the worst conditions. I'm not interested in the story. I'm interested in your growth. So don't tell me your pain. Don't tell me your problem. Go green in Jesus today. So here it is. Look at the person next to you and say, go green. So I'm just promising you. Tell me your story, and I'm going to look you go, go green, sister. Go green. You're not bringing me into your toxic story and letting me get angry with you. And I, he, they didn't even do anything to me. They don't even know. I don't know why I needed to say that, but I'm saying that today. I'm fitting you for battle that when stories come your way, go green. Grow in the worst conditions. Grow. Let there be growth. Though there's dead talk around you, you say, but as for me, I'm going green. I'll be a green plant, a green olive tree in God's house. Hallelujah. Number one, let's do this fast. Okay, here we go. I will trust, David says, in God because he will see me through. Remember the words of that great hymn by Edward Mote, my hope is built on nothing less. Come on, you know it. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Here it comes. Here it comes. I dare not trust what? But. Okay, stop right there. I have sung that all my life. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know what he was saying? Edward Moat was teaching us something. 
This is what it means. What does sweetest frame mean? This is where we get that word from. A frame of mind. That's where we get it from. And he says this. I don't even trust me when I'm thinking good thoughts. He says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame because I know what's in my heart. He says, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. He says, because if I trust me, I'm going to take me way off course here. And that's what he was telling us. That's what David was saying. I will trust in God who will see me through. David, think of the thoughts before David gets to even, but as for me, I will be a green olive tree growing in the worst condition. Think of what David says. He looks at this man. These are, these are raw thoughts of the man after God's own heart. This, you get to see what he was thinking. This is what he says. God will break you down forever. He'll snatch you up and tear you. I know none of you have ever thought these thoughts about people. He's going to break you. He's going to snatch you up. And who would have thought? I could just see David going, I wasn't wanting that to go into writing. I wasn't, I wasn't planning that being read by billions of people in the bestseller of all time. And he says this, he says, and, and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous are going to hear about your calamity and they're going to laugh at you. That's what David was thinking. I wouldn't call that the sweetest frame. This is, this is raw David. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I think all of a sudden something switched in David, and he said, but I'm going to wholly lean on Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, I think after he goes through all that, he just goes, you know what? As for me, I am going to be a green olive tree. I'm going to go green in this, that I'm not going to go ahead and let you bring me to a spot that I'm not supposed to be at. I trust Jesus on this. I trust God and not me on this. In fact, David says, I trust. This is such an important word for us to always remember. He said, I trust in God's loving kindness. That's such an important word. Loving kindness is always associated with how God feels about his children on how God always acts with kindness and love towards us, that I trust on how God feels about me, not on how I feel, because my thoughts will betray me about me, and my thoughts will betray me about others. Let me just say that again. Your thoughts will betray you about you, and your thoughts will betray about others. That's why we lean on Jesus. We lean on who he is. We lean on the person that he is. David says, I will trust. I will trust. Let me quickly go to the second one. Number two, he says this, I will thank God that he uses people to grow me. Folks, I'm going to give you something else to say. Here it comes. Don't say that person bothers me. Say that person sanctifies me. <laughs> Don't look at somebody going, you bought me. Just go, you're sanctifying me, daughter. Son, I want you to think about that because that's exactly what, what God is doing. God puts those sanctifying people, not bothersome, the sanctifying people in our lives. That's why David begins to cry out, as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. And I will, here comes verse nine, I will give thanks forever. And look at these next words, because you have done it. David never went on a campaign to hunt Doeg for snitching on him. But as for me means, get ready for this, just because you sin doesn't mean I have to sin. That's what he's saying. It is a declaration. You know what he was declaring? He was declaring this. But as for me means I will do what God wants me to do. I am not going to let your disobedience. Oh, let me say it like this. That someone else's disobedience is never an excuse for my disobedience. And if you want to put that to the test, drive in New York City. Because when you get honked at and you're going like, it's still red. Because that's, that's, they, they tell you that the quickest second ever 
is in New York is when that light goes from red to green, that somehow every New Yorker is on that horn immediately for you to go. And if your hand is going up as hallelujah, then you're going green. But if your hand is going up like seriously, then you let their impatience cause your impatience. What David was saying, but as for me, he was telling us that your disobedience is not going to become an excuse for mine. Their unbiblical behavior is never a license to act unbiblically. That when God goes, what you have done, to, that you have done it, God. He says, God, you've put someone in my life to grow me. They're not, they're not bothering me. They're sanctifying me. It's tragic what happened, but God, you're calling me to grow in the midst of horrible conditions. There is a New Testament principle about this. There is a New Testament principle about going green. Let me read it to you. Paul says it like this. Never pay back evil for evil. To anyone, no New York cab driver means anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And here it comes. Get ready for this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. Now here it comes. He's going to tell you this, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink for every time you do this, you are heaping burning. Coal. Some of you are going, I like this last part, burning coals on his head. And then verse 21, do not be overcome. This is the, don't let their disobedience make you disobedient. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Listen, because some of you are thinking, okay, I get it, Pastor Tim. I can't take vengeance in my own hands, but I get hot coals to put on their head. Some of you are all excited now. Okay, I need you to think Bible, not barbecue. Okay, I need you just to, because some of you, some of you, are, your mind is going the wrong way right now. Stay with me on this, because it's God wanting to teach us something. In biblical times, what he was saying was, because when you think about what does heaping coals on someone's head mean, in biblical times, there wasn't a thermostat, there wasn't Con Ed, there wasn't that, a, a thermostat for heat or for air conditioning, that in order, if you had a hearth, you had a fire, you had coals in your home to warm it up. And if somebody's coals all of a sudden went out from lack of care or for their own irresponsibility, many times they'd go around from house to house with, with the coals on their head, holding it, just holding the, because of the weight of it. And they were hoping that you would put some of your hot coals in there to warm up their house. And what, they were, what, what he was saying was this, Give them, give them what they need, not what they deserve. He was saying, give them what they need. Something that's going green. Going green means this. God, I will trust you and not lean on my own understanding on this. I will trust you in this. It means this. I will give thanks that you will allow me and give me the strength to not give people what they deserve but what they need, oh God. And finally, he says, I will wait on God to work it out for his glory. On God to work it out for his glory. Let me finish with this and let's close. I will wait on God to work it out for his glory. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God, growing in the worst conditions. I trust in the loving kindness. I will give you thanks forever and I will wait on your name. I will wait on your name. Folks, I have made more mistakes by doing things fast than just pausing and waiting on God. I've made more mistakes by allowing my emotions to make me rush into something when God's going, just wait, let me work this out. But there's something in us that we want to post it. We want our side to be told. We want people to know the real story. And we have no patience for God to defend us. When I was faced with a real doeg moment, that, 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 that information was going out to create a narrative and things were happening, 
I waited on God because of one verse. I want to give you a verse that brought me through one of the darkest seasons of my life. It comes from the life of Jacob. Jacob, whose life has been, he has been ripped off by his uncle. In fact, he says, you've changed my wages 10 times. Your attitude towards me has changed. He has ripped them off in every possible way. And then he has faced in his darkest time. This is Jacob going green. And these are the words that he says. He says this in Genesis 30, 33. My honesty will answer for me later. Folks, look, keep that on the screen there. Don't take that off. I see that for it. I see that verse. I get emotional because that verse brought me through my darkest times. Because here's the part when I look at that verse, my honesty will answer for me later. Let me tell you what I hate about that verse. I hate the word later. I hate that word. Later. I want my honesty to answer for me now. I'm ready to tell my side. I'm ready to say, hey, he snitched. Because when you read Doeg's statement to Saul, when he dropped the dime on David, he doesn't even tell the whole story. He, he builds his own little narrative. And all of a sudden, it's as if David is, is now challenged like, like Jacob was. My honesty will answer for me later. And here's what I've realized, folks. I'm living proof. Look at me. I am living proof that later does actually come and honesty actually speaks for you. I'm telling you that right now. Later does come and honesty does speak for you. It's you having to say, God, give me the patience to wait. Not only will I trust, not only will I give thanks. Here's what it says about these olive trees. And David goes, but as for me, I'm like a green olive tree. Here's what it says about it. Jot this down. Olive trees grow slow, but they last long. Do you know, you ready for this, folks? They grow slow, but they last long. And here it comes. They reach 20 to 40 feet high and can produce fruit for hundreds of years. That even if you were to go to Israel today, Cindy and I have seen it, that the spot that they think was the Garden of Gethsemane with the olive trees, those are trees 2,000 years later. They think those were still some of the same trees that Jesus was part of on the Garden of Gethsemane. And they said this, and as they grow, they are very hard to uproot at that time. Folks, olive trees, it may be slow, but it gets rooted down. It produces fruit, and it produces fruit for a very long time. But here's my favorite part. They say when you abuse an olive tree and you cut, you cut it, this is what it says. It says olive trees, this is what I read, will tenaciously produce new shoots when branches are cut. This is one of my favorite things. It says, cut a branch. It says, something in that olive tree says, I will produce fruits. That you may have cut it, but I'm going to go ahead. Listen, folks, this is the way I want to be. I want to tenaciously produce new fruit after men think they're cutting me off cutting me down or cutting me apart. And what he was saying was every cut means a brand new branch that God is starting to come up and do something. Every cut, they cut me. They did this. They said this. And folks, every spot they cut, something new starts to grow. Something new starts to happen. Roots start to go down. And every time God's going, listen, it doesn't matter what they're doing. You're going green on this stuff. That they want you to tell the story. and They want you to do this. I'm going to back up. I have people that's going, tell the story, tell the story, tell the story. We say, nah, -uh. we're going green. I want to grow deep. I want to be new. I want to be fruitful. And I want to be around for a hundred years. And this goes on. And folks, let me tell you something. And people who keep telling their story, people who keep telling and toxic things, they're not around very long. My honesty will answer for me later. Every cut, God goes, I'll bring me growth. Every cutting remark, every cutting word that has come your way means growth. Whether he's teaching me to restrain my lips, teaching me to keep hot coals or teaching me to, to bless and not curse us. But folks, let me just close with this. 
No one made their cuts matter more than Jesus. Nobody made their cuts matter more than Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Come on, say that last part with me. And by his stripes, we are healed. Leave that verse up there for a second. The wounds, the bruises, and the stripes, God goes, they're cutting away, but I'm beginning to expand. I'm going deeper, and I'm expanding out. Folks, nobody made their cuts matter more than Jesus himself. He came into a world that hated him even before he was born. They're trying to hunt him down and kill him. To the day that the world caught up with him, crucified him and killed him, caused the wounds, caused all those things, the bruises and the stripes. But here's the amazing thing. Those wounds and bruises and stripes were all put there by men. But they forgot it was for men and it was for me and it was for you that he says, cut me here, I'll bring healing there. Wound me here and I'll deliver them there. Go ahead and begin to chast bring, bring, bring all those stripes against me. Because of those stripes, folks, Monday night during prayer and fasting, we're going to lay hands on the sick and we're going to see them healed. Talk about new growth. Talk about what God can do hundreds of years later. Every wound, every stripe, every bruise, hundreds of years later are setting people free, are delivering lives, are doing something amazing. And here's the part I want you to get. Jesus said when, when, when he had the opportunity to come and just say, I'm not taking this any longer, he said, I could call 12, listen to this, I could call 12 legions of angels and get out of this. I can cut you down. Instead, I'll let you take your shot at me, cut at me. He, think of it. I can call 72,000 angels to rescue me right now. But instead, I'll take a bruise, I'll take a wound, and I'll take a stripe. I will back up. And here's what the Bible says. The verses right before that, he was by his stripes were healed. Here it comes. My servant, same chapter grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender, what does it say? Like a tender green shoot that in the midst of a world that hated him, a green shoot shot up like a root in a dry ground. Talk about going green. God came to planet earth and went green for all of us. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We turned our backs on him. He looked the other way. He was despised and rejected by men, and we did not care. But folks, I'm telling you, then right after that, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes Hallelujah, we are healed. Every cut in his body, every wound in his body, listen, was for you. Every bruise, stripe, and wound was for your freedom. It was for your healing. It was for your liberation. Those that are watching online, I'm just telling you, those that are watching from Spain and the UK, those that are watching from Peru and Colombia, from Sierra Leone, every bruise that he went through, it was for you. He went green for you. Miracles were coming out of that wound. And the greatest gift coming from those wounds, here it comes, was forgiveness and heaven. It's the greatest thing that came out of those wounds for you today. There's not a church, look at me, those in person, those online, there's not a church on the planet that can give you forgiveness of sins and an assurance of eternity in heaven. Only Jesus can do that today. Only he can do that today. There's not a church, there's not a denomination, there's no synagogue, there's no mosque that can promise you heaven. None of them can, only Jesus. That death on a cross, those wounds are bringing life to you today. And some of you have never experienced that, but today you can experience it. Do you know what he calls that new relationship for those that are here today? They call that new relationship being born again. Jesus said, 
you can't see heaven. Jesus, that green shoot, that Isaiah 53 Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And in just this moment, these next few moments, those online, those in person, if you're here today and you've never experienced what that means, what does it mean to be born again? What, those are Jesus' words. What does that word mean? Here it comes, folks. Jesus was saying, just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Those wounds, those bruises, those stripes were for you to give you the opportunity to go to heaven. The greatest things coming out of those bruises was forgiveness and eternity for you. Forgiveness for you today. Eternity for you today. That's what was coming out. Men thought they were killing him, but what he was doing, that they didn't realize that billions would find life through those wounds and stripes. That's what was happening. How, how do I do that, pastor? How do I become born again? Here it is. It's as simple as this. A, B, C. A, it's admitting I'm a sinner. It's simply admitting that every one of us have a condition called sin. That we, we can't without God. We can't, we can't fix it. There's not a promise you can make. There's not a program you can go to. There's not a priest, a pastor, a synagogue, or a mosque that can fix our sinful condition. As one person said, we're not, we're, we, are, we are not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a Savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth today. And B, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition because we couldn't fix it ourselves. If we could fix it ourselves, then here's my question to you today. Then why would God have to send his son 2,000 years ago for the wounds, the bruises, and the stripes if we could fix it ourselves? Wouldn't that be child abuse? A father putting his son through that and then telling all of you, you got to get good to get to heaven. You got to really step it up. You've got to have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and that gets you into heaven. Nonsense. That's not the gospel. You must be born again. That's what it says. And at C, confessing him as Lord, what does that mean? That switches everything from a religion to a relationship. To confess Jesus as Lord is to say, you're in charge of my life now. You're not just in charge on Sundays for a couple hours. You're in charge of every single day of my life. That's what he's saying to you. And today, you may have shown up here because you're, someone told you about a church service. You can hear a gospel choir. So come on down to Times Square Church. But somehow, you've been frozen in your seat and you couldn't walk out. And God is speaking to you today. Maybe someone sent you the link online and you're watching from the Philippines and you're going like, why am I listening to this? And it may not even be a Sunday. And here's a news flash. God doesn't only work on Sundays. And today, he can change you from the inside out. I'd like every person to close your eyes, bow your heads. It's the most important question I can ever ask you is, have you been born again? And today, this could be that day. Have you been born again? Today, as, you, as everyone in this place has a birthday, this can become your spiritual birthday today. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want this new relationship that you're talking about. That wounding, bruising, those stripes, wounds, and bruises, that life came out for me today. I want that. I want to be born again today. Those that are watching online, I'm going to ask you, those that are sitting in the balcony on this main floor, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start a journey with God today, but there's a lot of stuff that's messed up in my life. You are the perfect candidate. And some of you are sitting here going, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Don't believe your assessment of yourself, whether it's good or bad. Believe God's assessment. And God's assessment is this. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you could be born again. A change can happen. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey with God. I want to be born again, whether you're online or in person. I want to pray a born again prayer. I want to pray a prayer right now that just says, God, I want you in my life. I want to start this journey. I want this to be my second spiritual birthday. I want this to be my spiritual birthday today. 
It can happen right now, right here. And if you're in this place and say, I want it to happen, I want to start that journey. Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, put me in that. I want to start that journey. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do the most important thing. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, put me in that prayer. I want to start a journey with God today. I want to be born again. Without any hesitation, if that's you, every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, hold up your hand right now. Just say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up high because I want to make sure that I can see every hand that's up. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up in this place. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. I want to make sure I see them. And if you're watching online, you can put them down now. If, you, if you're watching online, I want you just to text the word decided right now in that chat line. Just say, I'm deciding today. If you're going to be join along with these 20 that are in this place today, I want you to text the word decided, and we're going to begin to pray together. We're going to believe for God to start this brand new journey and to do this work in your life today. Can we believe for that today? Can we believe for God to do that today as we get ready to close? Come on, church. I want us all to pray this together. Come on, let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Okay, we like to say this loud. Come on, everybody. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.